the, the title of our message this morning, our lesson, is the habit of challenging the status quo. Is my headset on? I'm sorry, I forgot that I was told to use the mic. No, okay. You know, as I, um, it, it really is a, I think, a very exciting topic to talk about. And I know as I uh, just said that, many of you, the rebels among us, you perked up. And the thinking is, yes, I've been waiting for someone to preach about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I do want to let you know that uh, what I'll be talking about this morning is not how to challenge the establishment. Okay? I really want us to challenge complacency and stagnation in our own lives. So, okay, it's, it's okay to be a rebel. It's okay to be a trailblazer, a renegade, a pioneer. It's great to be those things, but you know, I believe it's important that we affect change in our lives first before we start thinking about challenging the establishment around us. And certainly Jesus did that, and I'm not shying away from that and nor am I saying that my message won't include that at all but I really do want you to pay attention to the part that really will help you to deal with complacency in your life you know maintaining the status quo becomes a problem when it leads to complacency or stagnation in the areas of our lives we ought to be growing in you know, areas such as our walk with God. You know, you got to ask yourself sometime, how am I doing there? Is there stagnation? Our marriages, family life, careers, how is that going? Church life, character development, you know, our worship, parenting. You know, are we pushing through to be the kind of parents that protect the, the innocence of our children? That really sets a path for them to be able to not only find God, be useful to our society. I mean, is this what we're pushing through so we can be these things? You know, I, uh, I remember uh, growing up being a young, uh, young boy, I guess, uh, back in New Jersey. And uh, my parents, they had a gas stove in the house and you know nowadays people don't use gas stoves as much uh, but I remember you know that that part of the stove called the pilot light you know if that's part if that part's not on if the pilot light is not on it becomes virtually impossible unless you have a match and all of that but you for you to turn on the other part of the stove you know I do believe our spiritual life is that pilot light that, you know, when we're not alive spiritually, when we're complacent in our walk with God, it becomes difficult for the other facets of our lives to make sense and be functioning. You know, if you all would turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we'll read verse 5 through 9. You know, it says here, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. 
Into godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, I love uh, the NLT translation of that passage. It says, verse 8 says, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, do you know, and, and I had to stop and think about this, it is, it is totally possible to, be, to live an ineffective and unproductive life as a Christian. It's totally possible. That's what the scripture is saying here. That if we're not growing, if we're complacent, if we're stagnant, then what happened is there's this inability for us to hold, take hold of all of that God has created this life to be. And we become unproductive and ineffective in our walk. Now that's not what any of us signed up for, right? And it's not just a Christian thing. I think nobody wants to live an unproductive and ineffective life. That's, that's not it at all. And so the Jesus habit of challenging the status quo is choosing to challenge, again, in the spirit of love, that which continues on, usually based on tradition, with no purpose. That's what it means. And no, Jesus showed us how to challenge the status quo. You look through the pages of scripture, many times you would see Jesus challenging the status quo, what, what, the, what was around him, what uh, was being told of him to be that was not in line with God's will. The, that, the status quo is simply the way things are. Jesus showed the world they didn't have to live a just, barely getting by kind of life. He showed the abundant, utmost kind of life that anyone could live. I mean, think about that. It's like, yeah, that's what we want. We want a life that counts. That makes sense. Jesus challenged tradition that had no meaning or benefit. Jesus was zealously committed to upholding God's commands and laws. Yet, he challenged man-made rules that were controlling people's lives. What are some of the instances in scripture that we see? I'm sure right now as I talk you can think of things, different parts of the gospel where, where Jesus would challenge uh, different ideas in society and different traditions that had no purpose and that was actually nullifying the word of God. You know in John chapter 4, you don't need to turn there, but Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman which was against the tradition. He challenged wrongful prejudice. The woman and her needs were more important to Jesus than recognizing man-made limitations. Matthew 11, right? Jesus befriended sinners and reached out to them instead of condemning them as hopeless, which made the religious leaders angry. It's like, man, I mean, to the point where they just called them a glutton. That all he wants to do is just eat and drink. And all he was doing is befriending people. 
But yet their tradition limited them from being able to do that and live like Jesus. Talk about complacency and a lack of purpose. Uh, we're going to look in Luke chapter 6, and that's really where we're going to stay uh, this morning. Luke chapter 6, and we'll start in verse 6 and look at uh, what I believe is a very intense instance in, in the gospel. I mean, it's about three paragraphs, but yet it's very intense. And unless we take the time to really look at it, uh, we can't see the intensity of it or really what makes it so intense. So again, Luke chapter 6. How you doing out there? Good, okay. You know, preaching is like having an intense conversation with your kids. You know it's all in here, you want to get it out. So it helps to hear. Bring it, come on. So uh, as you let me know what uh, resonates with you, that helps me to really... Let you know what's on my heart here, what God has put there. So in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 6, and I'll read from the NLT version there. Verse 6 says, On another Sabbath day, a man with a deformed right hand was in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching. The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Because that was a big deal to them. And the Sabbath was a big deal to God as well, but they tacked on all these other regulations and rules to what God had given them to the point where the traditions became so much more important than the Word of God. And it brought them to a point where there was no concern for people, and it was more about keeping rules. So in verse 8, but Jesus knew their thoughts. Keep that in mind. It says Jesus knew their thoughts. He said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. So the man came forward. Then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them one by one and then said to the man, hold out your hand. You know, Mark's account said he looked at them with anger. He was angry because he was deeply saddened by their hearts. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At this, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with him. So again, this is a very intense part of scripture, and it's very easy, again, because it's so short, you can just kind of read past it and really not grab the intensity of it. But here it is, Jesus is confronting ideas that were keeping people from doing exactly what God was calling them to do. And it says here in verse, um, in verse 8, it says, but Jesus knew their thoughts. So I really want us to picture this this morning, you know, so Jesus walks into the synagogue and then there's this man, he has an issue, he needs help. And obviously because Jesus is who he is, God in the flesh wants to help out in the situation. But then he knows those, those around him. And in the verses preceding this part of scripture help us understand he has had other encounters with these people before. So he knew what they were, they were looking for him to do. 
So that was kind of this pressure. Let's see if he changes things here. Let's see if he if he chooses not to go with the status quo, the way things are. And Jesus knew that full well. You know, I, I want to look at two things about Jesus here in this short passage of Scripture that I believe really will help us to understand how do we go about challenging the, the status quo in our lives and also in situations we get into. You know, the first thing here is that Jesus was aware of the box. What does that mean? He was aware of the box. Well, let me, uh, let me read this to you real quickly. You know, on December 17th, 1903, and for some of you already know what that brings up, right? December 17, 1903, Wilbur and Oville Wright invented the first successful airplane. Okay, prior to that, no machine that size, and from what I know, I don't know if any machine has ever propelled up in the air as an airplane does. And in a book about the Wright brothers entitled The Right Way, author Mark Epler shows how Orville and Wilbur challenged the status quo mindset of their day by attempting to build this flying machine. He explained that one step of their problem-solving technique is called mind warping. I wasn't smart enough to know what that meant. But he describes this as uh, mind warping is the ability to think outside the box without abandoning the box. I love that addendum because a lot of us like to think outside the box. But you know what? We're outside the box. The box is like somewhere else. And you're like, great, I appreciate your creativity, but bring it in a little bit. But talking about the Wright brothers, the, the author is saying that in, their, in trying to solve this issue, something that again, the status quo was that this has never happened. What, I mean, don't think that. Well, how can we think that a machine will, will uh, be propelled and will fly? And those who use this technique often refer to the box as the status quo and describes it as the pressure on all sides to keep things the way they are. I mean, do you realize that you know, a lot of times the culture we live in puts us in a box and tells us this is the way you ought to live your life. This is the way you ought to behave. This is the way you ought to conduct yourself. This is the way you ought to raise your kids. And certainly there are good things in there and I, and I hope that we're grabbing the good things. But you know what, if we're not aware of what box we're in, the pressures on all sides that's pushing us to, to make certain decisions or dictating how we live our lives, it's really hard to challenge them. You know, Jesus was aware of the pressure to keep things the way they were. You know, he didn't heal this man's arm just out of ignorance. He just didn't know what people were thinking. You know, that if he knew, it would have been like, oh, my bad, I didn't know that you wanted things to be this way or that way. He knew exactly what the expectation was. He knew what he was doing. You know, we can't challenge the status quo if we're not aware of how the culture around us dictate our thinking, our actions and attitude. Are you aware of the factors around you that are affecting and dictating the choices you're making? Are you? Do you know what they are? 
And are you able to walk through life as Jesus did, knowing what they are, but having this attitude, okay, this is not the way God wants it to be. And you're able to challenge it. Jesus was aware of the pressure around him to maintain the status quo. We won't be effective at challenging and changing the complacency in our lives if we don't become more aware of the pressures around us. That leads to being complacent. We need to figure out what are they. We have to be mindful of how we're being affected by the world around us. Romans chapter 12 verse 2. And you know, this is a passage of scripture that was penned by the Apostle Paul. Who described himself as his ultimate goal is to be more like Jesus in all that he does. And this is what he says in Romans chapter 12 verse 2. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, over in the southwest, on the south rather uh, sector, one of the things we've been doing as a, as a group, we're studying out repentance, and so we have this uh, forty day packet that we're going through, and we're looking at scriptures, and uh, one of those scriptures was Roman chapter uh, twelve, verse one through two, and uh, you know, talk, the question underneath that was, well, what is, what, what's the pattern of this world? And so, you know, I had my quiet time, I wrote down what I thought it was, so I thought, hey, let me just pick the brother's mind, like, what? and I sent out a text, what did you guys write down? And, you know, I, and they sent out all of the things they were thinking, and it was really such a, I'm glad I thought about it, because as the brothers expressed, this is what I, I believe the pattern of the world is. You know, we need to be aware of that, what is the pattern of the world? You know, what kind of pressures does the world place on our walk with God? Right? What does the world say? What, what does the religious world say? Right? It's okay. Just come to church on Sundays and sometime on, during midweek, and you're okay. You know? I mean, you can, you can choose to have your quiet time too if you want. But it, it would just be about your activities, what you're doing, not really a change of heart and imitating Jesus and being more like Him. That's pressure for us to, to really just settle for something less than what God wants this to be. But we've got to know that. You know, that's the pattern of the world. You know, what, what's, what kind of pressure does the, the pattern of the world put on our marriages? Right? I mean, you've ever heard of the, the seven-year itch? That's what the world says. After seven years, you start looking for somebody else. Because it's no longer interesting and fulfilling. But that's the pattern of the world. That's not what God's Word says. Right? Marriage is for life till death do you part. And I believe God, it's more, it gets more and more interesting as we do it His way. How about you, men? I mean, what does the pattern of the world, what kind of pressure does it put on us? I mean, have you heard, hey, it's okay to look, but as long as you don't touch. Really? Man, the Bible says, man, if, if, I'm, if I'm lusting after a woman, it's committing adultery in my heart. So that's a lie. That is not the truth. But that's the pressure the world put on us, men, to be that way. How about women? You know, I'm not a woman. I try to ask my wife, and she said, 
She said, you know, I think the pressure the world put on us is that as women, we got to have it all figured out. Get the kids in line, get them to school, fix them, make sure your husband's happy, do this, do that. And you're not really a, desire, a woman who's to be desired if you can't make it all work out. What kind of pressure is that? You know, how about you teens? What kind of pressure is the world putting on you? You know, when you think about it, you know, the, the, I remember being in high school many, many years ago, and, I, and I'm sure uh, I'm out of touch at what it means. But, you know, I think about it now. I became a Christian back in, uh, when I was in college, and I think about it, it's like, man, I, my hat, I, 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 tip, I take my hat off to you. Because to be a Christian and be in high school, that is awesome. Yes. Because as we talk about the pressures, I think you guys feel it a lot. You know, the pressure that, hey, if you're not popular, you're not worth much. You're a nobody. That's a lie. So many scriptures help us understand that God values us for who he's made us. And that you're created in a way where you're wonderfully made by God. And as you strive to please him in your life personally and relationships, he's pleased with you. And you're so much more than what those who are popular, who has that mindset, are saying. But we've got to be aware of the pressure. You know, it's not only the pattern of the world that creates this box, but the other things that create the box is our past. Right? There's, there are things we've, we've done, or that's happened to us. And although we know we're forgiven by God, but those things sometimes can dog us. And those things create this pressure for us to be complacent and be where we're at and we're not growing. Because we're, we're not really taking God at his, at his word that you're forgiven. He sees that stuff no more. And some of it is painful. Some of it's hard to deal with. And I, I'm not trying to make light of it in any way. But you know, that, that can be a pressure that we need to be aware of. As we make decisions in our lives, we know that, okay, man, I know certain things has happened. But you know, scripture says in 2 Corinthians, right, it says that, you know, we're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So we need to combat those thoughts with scriptures. But our past can be pressure that push us in that direction. You know, not just our past or the pattern of the world, but ungodly desires inside of us. You know, sometimes I think we want to say, Satan made me do X, Y, and Z. The devil made me do it. But you know, you look in the book of James, the way it's described, the Bible says that, you know, we're, we're tempted and led away and enticed and we sin because of evil desires in us. So there are things, and God's aware of that. And he still cares for us and saves us. But there are things in us that leads to sin. Are you aware of those sinful appetites in you? Because they create pressure. You walk out of your home and some of that stuff is creating pressure. Or when you're alone at home, that creates pressure. Carl knows what I'm talking about. But 
if we're not aware of these things, then we can't. We're, we're not going to be in a. We're not going to position ourselves to be having conversations. That we're we're keeping this stuff in the light. That others know us. And we're not tripping over these things. You know, the scriptures say, you know, we're, you know, when we were lost, we stumbled over things in the dark that we knew, we knew not what they were. But God is telling us, hey, you know what, we, we can be aware of these things in us that leads us to sin. But we have to be aware of this box that the world, our past, our sinful desires put us in. And really push us to keep the status quo in our lives. You know, the second thing here that I see in Jesus, you look in verse 9 of chapter 6, chapter six it says, Then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? You know, Jesus questioned the way things were when they were not the way they should be. Okay? We're, we're not going to be, be people that challenge complacency in our lives or challenge the status quo that pressures us to be ungodly if we don't ask questions when things are not the way they're supposed to be. It's, we have to question. We have to do that. And again, you know, it's like not just to be a rebel. But just to, to, to find out, well, how come this area in my life is not lining up to what the scriptures say? We need to know these things. You know, there's a quote from Robert Kennedy, uh, one of my favorite quotes. There are those who look at things the way they are and ask why. I dream of things that never were and ask why not. You know, Robert's... Um, point in, 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 in stating this was, you know, we need to be people who are thinking outside the box, obviously, to make things great. And then he says, there are some people, we look at the way things are, the status quo, and we say, why? But you know, sometimes we don't even ask why. But you know, Jesus asks questions. Why isn't this this way? Or is it more godly to do this or that? We have to ask questions. When we notice areas in, in our lives that are not as they should be, we need to ask questions. We need to ask why. God gives us his word so that we can have a standard to live by. We are to ask why whenever we find that we're not measuring up to that standard. It has to happen. And I get it. You know, sometimes it's hard to ask why because of fear. You know, if I ask why, what am I going to find out? Or I will have to make a change if I ask why. I remember several years ago, this is back in New Jersey, I was uh, employed by a counseling agency, and we worked in teams. And uh, I was paired up, I was the uh, case manager who was paired up with um, a, one of the counselors. She was a, uh, a licensed therapist. And so we worked together with these families to help obviously bring in resources for them and also to provide counseling. And it became really dark in that agency. People were getting fired left and right. And uh, my son, this happened, uh, well, maybe in like two weeks or three weeks time. My supervisor got fired. Then my partner got fired. And then the uh, person that they had brought in to replace my supervisor also got fired. 
Now, needless to say, morale was low. And people are working, uh, walking around, and the temptation was, hey, we're just going to slander each other, uh, talk about how the, the, um, you know, the big wigs, if you will, they don't know what's going on. They, they, they're not really concerned about us employees. And there was a lot of gossiping, a lot going on. Because people were afraid. And honestly, I was afraid too. And I know going home, and I'm like, Shaw, I don't know what's going on here. And uh, then, to make matters worse, I get a phone call from Human Resources questioning me, questioning me about the use of my time. Because at the time, I was uh, enrolled in a master's program, and, uh, which I spoke about it plainly, explained to my supervisor, explained to the director of the program, this is what I'm doing. And so I would have to leave an hour early to go to class, but then I came also an hour early to work so that I'm, I'm being diligent and doing what I need to, to do. And uh, so I, I was, after I got that phone call, I was really concerned. And so I had had uh, opportunities to work with the CEO of the company because she had this program, she wanted me to be a part of it, and I worked with her for some time. So we would have conversations every now and then. And during that time, I remember she said, if you need anything, Pierre, you give me a call. <laughs> so, you know, I pulled in one morning, I got on the phone, gave her a call, and I said, you know, so-and-so, you know, there's a lot happening here. Should I be concerned about my job? And then she said, you know, Pierre, I've never had any complaints or any concerns about you. She said, you're right, I did have HR call, and it wasn't really because I was concerned about what you were doing, I was concerned about what you, your supervisor may have allowed you guys to do. She said, but from what I know, you should have no concerns. And that's not glory be to me, but that's what it means to be a disciple. We're going to represent God where we're at. You know, the scriptures say, whatever we do, work at it with all of, all of our hearts as working for the Lord and not man. And I remember, you know, after that conversation, I was, you know, just <laughs> a, little, a little pep in my step. I felt a whole lot better. <laughs> but sometimes we're afraid to ask questions. And we let the pressure lead us to just acting like everyone else. That is not God's intent for our lives. You know, maybe, again, asking questions mean we have to change things. I was really convicted uh, a couple weeks ago when Mark did his lesson on just how great of a mission field we're sitting on here in the DFW Metroplex. As he shared those stats, I sat there like, wow, I didn't know that. So since then, which from his encouragement, I've made a copy of it, and I have it in my notebook. And uh, the thing that really... Uh, convicted me is, you know, as he was talking about just word, I mean, there are seven million, I believe he, what he said, people here in the Metroplex. And I got to thinking about when was the last time I was personally fruitful? And, uh, and I, I realized it was 2009, a year before we left New Jersey. And since then, I've, I mean, I've reached out to people, had people out to church, even stayed the Bible, got close with some people. They didn't make it. And I've been involved with uh, studying the Bible with people who have gotten baptized. So it's not like I'm just sitting around and nothing's happening in that sense. But in terms of being personally fruitful. And the reason why I ask myself that question, because I think, man, I remember when I studied the Bible. And I thought about, wow, God is entrusting me right with this with this gift or this 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 ability to go out and help people know Jesus and there's a part of me that's dying 
to be personally fruitful again. Not glory be to, to Pierre in any way, but to that my, God can use my life in that way. I believe he's using my life still. But as Mark talked about those stats, I thought, man, you know what? God, please help me as I open my mouth. Help lead me to someone who wants to know Jesus. But, you know, we've got to ask questions. You know, the Bible says the harvest is plentiful. And I, I'm looking at how am I lining up with that? So I'm asking myself questions, but we have to ask ourselves questions. You know, I, I need to wind down here. Um, you know, so what are the enemies of the habit of challenging the status quo? Comfort. You know, we say to ourselves, I'm used to it. How about resistance? I don't want to change. Laziness. It takes too much effort to change. Mindset, right? Because that's repentance is changing our minds. So our mindset can keep us from really being who God wants us to be. But the mindset, nothing's going to change. Let me just stay where I'm at and allow the status quo to be what prevails. You know, that's, those are the enemies of challenging the status quo. We need to deal with those. I want to end by quickly giving you six practicals to making challenging the status quo a habit. Okay? And I'll go through this fairly quickly here. You know, the first thing, first practical is begin with the belief that things can change. I mean, we've got to get there again. You know, if that's, uh, you know, because we've got to get on our knees and start praying, then we need to do that. I saw a great movie uh, last week here, The War Room. Some of you have seen this. But, you know, it's all about, and I won't give it away, but it's all about that, praying and begging God to change the areas in our lives that stagnant. You know, Jesus came out of the grave so things wouldn't have to remain the same. There's power to change. Only those who choose not to change don't change. That's what the Bible says. There's no problem that cannot be transformed by a resurrected Jesus. So we need to begin with the belief that things can change. Secondly, we need to list the areas of your life that have grown stagnant. Yes, do it. Uh, you know, it may be discouraging at first, but it's good. You'll have that list and you start thinking, okay, God, help me to get through this. You know, we all have a tendency to grow stagnant, guys. That's what it is. It isn't because you're horrible, but that's the, ten that's just, that's the tendency. To follow the path of least resistance. So specifically target those areas where you no longer feel you're growing. So list the areas of your life that have grown stagnant. You know, thirdly, set goals as to the way you want things to be. You know, goal setting is powerful. Writing it down becomes the first point in changing things. It's something about formulating a sentence or two to capture what it is you're wanting to change and letting it flow through the pen on the paper that makes it stick. I was, as I was thinking about this point, I thought about, you know, a time in, um, this was in 2001, and I brought my journal here, and I'm going to read it straight from my journal so you don't think I'm making this up. But uh, it was December 5th, 2001, and you know how the year starts to close out. You start thinking about things you want to be different, things to change. 
And so I wrote down four major things that I want to achieve by the end of my life. And I'll just read the second one. It says, I want to learn how to build healthy and spiritual churches. That, that was the goal. Very lofty, rather, for a 26-year-old, I think. And I'm sitting there, that's what I'm thinking. And I bring that up just to say, you know, I don't think that ever left my system. You know, as we're uh, working through changing things in, uh, in the South Sector and dealing with complacency. Again, it's all of us. that We need to deal with that. Uh, not because the South Sector is in any place worse than anybody or better in any way. But we need to deal with complacency. You know, one of the things as we're going through, and I realize that, you know, we came up with a vision, and here's, here's the vision for us, to build a healthy, growing, and multiplying ministry where every disciple is maturing spiritually and being outwardly focused. And again, it's, it's my desire in life. You know, and I don't care where God, what God does with me or not, but that's what I want to see happen. But I think when we write it down, it has a way of sticking with us and it doesn't go away. So set goals as to where you want things to go. It is a fact that we tend to do those things we write down more than if we had not written them down. You know, this, fourthly, discover what obstacles you would face if you challenged the way things are. And again, I remind you that we're talking about starting with where you're at. You know, ask yourself, if I attempt this change, what specifically am I going to have to overcome? Anticipate the negative. Accept that changing the status quo will not be easy. You know, the status quo is the easiest way to, be, to go. So challenging it takes some courage and it takes effort. But anticipate what those obstacles would be. Uh, fifthly, be kind in challenging the status quo. This is for the rebels in us. <laughs> we all have it. Don't go in with a prideful attitude that turns people off. Amen, right? You can easily offend people. Change comes so much, so much easier when presented in an atmosphere of kindness. You know, that's something I'm learning. You know, as I'm talking with people, as a matter of fact, the last couple of weeks, just really learning that, that, man, I got to think about how I, how I express things to people to do it anyway in a way that builds people up. You know, and not just blasting people and uprooting their faith. Sometimes it's not the idea of change that bothers people, but the way in which that change is presented. Keep that in mind. And lastly, give it time. Change takes time. And I'm not saying just sit there and let the status quo be, but recognize it, ask the questions, make the list, go after it, but give it time. Don't stop going after it until that changes. Be patient, hang in there. Some days you make great strides, but other days seem slow. Don't give up. Remember the process of challenging the status quo can bring you greatest sense of fulfillment. So as we uh, take these thoughts to heart and really strive to imitate our Lord Jesus and being individuals that challenge the status quo, you know, let's remember that you know we need to be aware of the box. Find out what they are and we need to ask questions. 
and allow God to do with us what he so desires so that we can deal with the complacency in our lives. Amen? Amen. Thank you.